Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Meditation teaches us that there is goodness deep inside each one of us, and this is who we really are. Every time we meditate, this goodness wells up within and overflows into our daily lives. We begin to see the same goodness in everyone else, even if they can't see it yet, and we realize we are all intimately connected with one another in God and that makes us kinder to one another. All this we learn from silence. There is goodness inside. There is kindness inside. If we sit for a while, we will feel it, we will know it. There is goodness inside. Trust in this kindness 
is goodness inside. There is kindness inside. Today, I am honored to have Noel Keating from Ireland on the show. Noel has spent 40 years in the education sector in Ireland as a teacher, principal, and education officer. He is a voluntary coordinator of the Meditation with Children Project, which involves over 50,000 children who meditate several times each week on a whole school basis across more than 250 primary schools throughout London. Noel completed his doctoral research on the child's experience of the practical benefits and deep inner fruits of meditation in elementary schools in Ireland. And we will put in the show notes, um, they do have a web, website, um, Meditation with Children Project, and we'll, we will definitely put that in the show notes. So welcome, welcome, Noel. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here and thank you for having me. Yeah, I, so, so I think good. it's really important work that you're doing promoting the awareness of the innate spirituality of children. Yes, well, just right along with what you're doing, which is just such beautiful work. And I love Ireland, by the way. I have some Irish and Welsh blood in me, so okay. um, I need to get back there. I, I have that on my list right now to get over there, which I usually do within the year when it's on my list. So, so yeah, the name anyway. Hughes, I, I thought with the name Hughes, there might be an Irish connection. Yes, yes, yes. So I, when I found you, which I don't even remember how I did, um, I just love the meditation in children project and interweaving that with so much ex personal experience with working in the primary schools. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself and your childhood and how your background, if it did influence this um, work that you're doing today. Yeah. Um, I mean, very briefly, I, I grew up in the 1950s in Ireland, which at that time was a very Catholic country in the sense that um, in the town I grew up in, everybody was committed to one faith or the other, Protestant or Catholic. There was a small Protestant community. The vast majority were Catholics. Everybody went to mass on a Sunday. Um, my parents were both very religious. We said the rosary at night um, during during Lent, particularly kneeling, you know, on, on the kitchen floor, all kneeling in chairs. Um, so we grew up in that kind of an environment. So I, I probably from a young age had um, my my sense of having a spiritual nature was stirred. And I remember around the age of 10 or 12, I'd say or 10 maybe, uh, reading a book from the local library. I can't recall what it was called, but it contained the line somehow. Uh, from St. Augustine, our hearts are were made for you and are restless until they rest in thee. And it was like, mm -hmm. it was just resonated with me. It was like, I knew this to be the case. And I've never all my life lost that sense, even though I would often have struggled, <laughs> probably still do, to, to deepen that connection, to deepen that understanding. Yes. Um, so when I was <laughs> um, 16, I went to university at 16 and I decided to go to Maynooth University, which is the seminary for um, the main seminary here for priests in Ireland. And I spent three years uh, there, but I left in the middle of the third year. I decided that priesthood wasn't for me. And then I entered teaching and 
uh, after about 18 years teaching, I became principal of a secondary school. And that really, it was a Catholic school run by the Presentation Sisters, and they took their role as trustees of the school seriously. And they made us think very clearly as principals as to why we were principal of a Catholic school. And what was it about the Presentation Sisters and the life and, and values of Nano Nagel that we wanted to see lived out in the school? So that again brought me to a deeper level because they took it so seriously. And now suddenly, here I was as principal of a school, going into it really thinking that I was going to be looking after the, the administration of education in the school. And now realizing also <clears throat> that somehow I was responsible um, for the spiritual ambience in the school as well mm -hmm. and felt ill-equipped for that. Uh, but they were very, very helpful. And then years later, about 18 years later, I went to um, work directly for the Presentation Sisters in their education office. And that meant I was uh, liaising with about 40 schools and engaging with them and their staffs around the same questions. Why, why were they a presentation school? What was the ethos of a presentation school? And how did they, in their particular circumstances, strive to live that out? So that brought me all a little bit more deeply into my own journey. And then I traveled a lot as part of that around the country from one school to another. And I discovered John Main CDs. And that's how I discovered meditation, just listening to them as I traveled from one school to another. And I took up the practice and it just went, went from there. It really helped me to deepen my spirituality. Wow. Are you still Catholic? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. So who is John Main? I that this this was later on in my questions, but who is John Main and how what was John, what were his meditations that touched you so much? Okay. John Main was a um born in Ireland to um uh, to Irish parents, I think. Um grew up certainly in Ireland at, at for part of his life. Uh, ended up going to college in, in Trinity College in Dublin. Um, again, perhaps a little bit like I've just described there, he always had a deep sense of connection with God. And he he after he qualified in college, he was sent out to Malaya, I think, to work with the British Civil Service. And when he was out there, he met a guru. Um, and he heard about what the guru was doing. And he went and asked him, would he teach him to meditate? Of course, the guru was, I think, um, Hindu rather than Catholic, uh, but he had no difficulty with that, and he learned to meditate. He came back to Dublin and worked as a lecturer in Trinity College in Dublin um, before deciding that he wanted to enter the religious life. So he eventually joined the Benedictine Fathers in um, England, and um, he was you know, carrying with him then as he entered the monastery, he was carrying with him this practice of daily meditation. And they said, no, 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 we don't do that. That's not the way we do it. But but so he got an awful shock. And he and he did say that the, the next so many years of his life, he felt a fierce deprivation because he followed the practices that they did in the monastery. But they didn't do this practice of sitting in silence uh, as individuals. Um, and they didn't follow this form of silent prayer. They had so many other forms of it, but they didn't actually follow it. And then he he became principal of a school in um, in America at one stage. I can't remember exactly where. And a young man came asking him questions about meditation. And he thought he'd better, you know, research it again to see, because the young man asked him, where could he do something around Christian meditation? 
So he went back and he discovered um, the writings of Evagrius way back, um, way, way back, you know, who Evagrius would have visited the Desert Fathers in the desert, some of those Desert Fathers. And he had written up what they had to say about prayer. And John Mayne realized that this is exactly what his guru had taught him, although in a Catholic Christian context. Um, so he, he began to dedicate himself to that practice and he went back to England eventually and opened a, 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 a what would you call it, a, a, a opportunities for lay people to join him in the monastery and to form a, a, a meditation community. And eventually he was asked by the Bishop of Toronto, would he visit there? What was it? Montreal. Montreal, perhaps. Um, and he... He, he went there and started another community there. And he died a few years later, but Father Lawrence Freeman had joined him as one of those laymen and then had gone on to become a monk. And he has continued the practice. And in the time since John Mayne died, over the last uh, 35 years or so, a huge community has built up all around the world. So the world community for Christian meditation now has people who meditate and, and who are organized in the sense that we cooperate with one another and support one another mm -hmm. and share a, a website and so on. And, and, and Lawrence Freeman is the leader of that community. So, so that's, that's the legacy now that Christian meditation has taken off and spread widely around the world. Nice. So the children's project, how did that begin? And, with that, what what exactly do you mean when you say Christian meditation? Okay, well, cr Christian meditation is, I mean, meditation for a start is a universal practice. And I think that's one of the wonderful yes. things about introducing it into schools, because it's part of, I mean, from John Kabat-Zinn's work on mindfulness over the last 35 years or so, has spread mindfulness as a practice right around the world. And it it, it was readily accepted because he had, introduced it as a secular practice, even though he had taken the basics of it from the Buddhist tradition, which he was very familiar with. And he found it helped his own patients. He was a medical doctor. He found it really helped patients. So he developed what he called um, mindfulness-based stress reduction program and a few other programs, all based around the, the fact of sitting in, in silence, still in body and mind. And of course, so, so from that point of view, you could say that meditation is both very new because of his work in the last 30 years, but very old because it actually goes back at least three and a half thousand years. First written records of meditation uh, from the Hindu tradition are at least three and a half thousand years old. And if the written records are three and a half thousand years old, it must go back a long time before that. And in the Christian tradition, it was the Desert Fathers who really introduced the practice of being still in body and mind. So in the Christian tradition, you could say that meditation is a very deep form of prayer, um, being still in God's presence. So it's a form of imageless, wordless, silent prayer. You simply um, set yourself the, the challenge, if you like, of being still in God's presence, not thinking about God, uh, it's, it's a form of prayer, but it's very different to discursive prayer. I mean, prayer in the catechism, the Christian catechism, the Catholic Church says prayer is the raising of the mind and the heart to God. Now, the raising can almost seem like lifting a heavy weight sometimes. So I prefer the notion that it is the opening 
of the mind and the heart to God. Mm -hmm. But as I grew up in the 50s in Ireland, it was very much a discourse of mental activity. You said your prayers. It was all about talking to God, asking God for things, thanking God for things and so on. And that is kind of the traditional understanding of prayer. Whereas this form of prayer, contemplative prayer or Christian meditation, means simply sitting in God's presence with the intention of being still in God's presence. Yet if, if, if I walked into a classroom and there were some Buddhist children meditating and some Japanese doing Zen meditation and somebody doing meditation in the Tao tradition and some Christians meditating and some meditating from a secular perspective, they would all be sitting in their chairs, all sitting up straight, all still in body and mind. So nobody could tell from the outside you know, what their intention was. And I think that is one of the wonderful things about introducing it into any school, because the same practice can be introduced to all of the children, but they might have a different intention as to how they how they do the meditation themselves. And in Christian meditation, then we sit in silence. And like, if you have ever tried that, I don't know if yes, you meditate yourself. I meditate, yes. But, but when you begin, and I often do a 30-second exercise with teachers when I'm introducing the practice to them, and we, I asked them to be still in body and mind, no other instructions for 30 seconds. And they will always say, relatively easy to be still in body, but very difficult to be still in mind because thoughts simply arise. A whole stream of consciousness arises in the mind uh, related to our preoccupations, our worries, our anxieties, our concerns, our desires, our needs. They can come from anywhere. And it's like, you might think the mind has a mind of its own. It is. It just keeps them coming. Yes. So what we do in order to um, help to stem the flow of thoughts, and in particular to stem our engagement with them, because once a thought comes into your head, you engage with it very quickly, and then you don't realize that you have let go of your intention to be still in God's presence. So we focus on a word. It doesn't really matter what the word is, but the tradition has a word, Maranatha, which is the last word but one. Amen is the last word of the Bible. Maranatha is the second last, and it means come, Lord. But it's just as well, in a sense, that we that it isn't a word that is familiar. So there's no magic in the word. You know, it really doesn't matter what word you use. I sometimes use the word Iasa, which is the Irish for Jesus. And I, I can you can link it to the breath sometimes so that the e, you know, the e phrase is on the in breath, and the sa phrase is on the out breath, and so on. So, in Christian meditation, then you are sitting still in body and mind, uh, continually repeating your sacred word, whatever word that is. It's interesting that you call it Christian because, really, in some schools, well, especially in the United States, you know, I don't even think we can use the word God here anymore. It's gotten really out of hand, but you're able to use, I mean, some people, people have different words for God, right? Sitting in the light, sitting in the power. And I love the, I love the word contemplative prayer instead of, I mean, Christian prayer is wonderful, but when you can't, it can't be used just the contemplative. um, I love that. And that it's not just focused on one religion because that's how it's sort of that's how i teach it and i think it's important to teach it that way so i teach it as a universal practice which is found you know in secular society widely accepted and and where like john cabot's work showed 
the very, very practical benefits that flow from meditation. So he showed how it can improve our cognitive function, emotional functioning, um, physical ailments and so on. So he, he not alone has he done it, but in university after university across the world, they have done research that shows beyond a shadow of a doubt um, the fact that that sitting in stillness and silence actually brings about incredible benefits. Mm -hmm. But what mindfulness isn't really able to dip into are the deeper fruits. Yes. And that's that's yes. what interested me, right. the deeper fruits of meditation. Right. Um, and and <clears throat> I find what I loved about my the outcome of my research was that the children were able to describe those fruits in metaphorical language. Mm -hmm. OK, so that like, that is what motivates me is to to help children to appreciate that they have an innate spirituality, that each one of us is a spiritual being and, and that um, we can cultivate that spirituality through certain practices. Probably when we were growing up, uh, even though the focus was more on religion rather than spirituality, there were still rituals and practices that, that probably did help us to make that connection. But I think that even for people who are not religious, there are many people in the world today who would say, you know, I'm not religious, but I do feel I am a spiritual person. Yes. And meditation then is a wonderful practice that can cultivate that. So I, I, I can talk to you a little bit about what the children said about the fruits of meditation, if you like. <clears throat> I would love that. But before we chat about that, I had an experience. Um, it was really interesting. I work in Ethiopia. And when I was there last time, um, one of the women who was with us got really sick. And so this um, amazing, beautiful doctor came as a, quote, house call and had to put her, you know, put her on IV and this and that. But he was Muslim. And before he, well, after he put the IV in, he had to go out and it was Ramadan. He had to go out and pray for a certain amount of time period. And afterwards, we talked a little bit about it because I was just curious. And I think they pray four or five times a day. Yes. And I thought, I'm not, maybe I might take up that practice, you know, not of being a, a Muslim, but to check in and deeply breathe. And, and just throughout the day, just as a reminder is just to touch base with that inner, that inner guidance, that inner soul, that inner light. And how beautiful, you know, how beautiful it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's why um, the, the advice in all of the wisdom traditions around meditation um, is to meditate at least twice a day yes, for about yes. 20 to 30 minutes. And you don't hear that that often, but it's so important. Yes, yes. And what it does is it it orients you. It yes. grounds you in your understanding that you are a spiritual being. It grounds you in a sense of openness and receptiveness um, and willingness as distinct from willfulness. Right, right. Um, it, Lisa Miller talks about the achieving brain and the awakened brain. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what meditation does is it moves you from, from one to the other. It doesn't deny the achieving brain. But it makes it understand it's not in charge. You know, there is more yes. to us than that. Yes. John Main would often have said that um, meditation moves the center of gravity 
from the head to the heart. And, and that's effectively that that's that's a really important point. And all of the desert fathers, it would have been a very important point for them that it, that the process of meditation ultimately puts the head in the heart yes. so that the head is now in service of our deepest sense of who we are. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I think meditation does. It it changes our sense of self-identity slowly but surely so that we come to understand who we are at the deepest level of our being. And, and when that happens, then it changes our way of seeing everything. And that changes our way of being. In yes. The children would have said it makes us kinder. You know, which is a, a simpler way of saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a quote here from John Main. Um, he says that meditation opens the human heart and that this is as natural as the opening of a flower. Yes. It's so beautiful. So let's talk about the children. I, you know, this is what the podcast is all about and also rediscovering your own inner child with wonder and awe and, and, and even experiencing these spiritual, you know, practices. So tell us about what the children have said in terms of the fruits, the fruits of meditation. Okay, so this was what really motivated me. When I retired in 2012, I felt somehow called because I had been meditating myself and I could see that around the world, um, within the world community for Christian meditation, they were developing uh, in different countries that children were beginning to meditate. And I felt this was something that I could easily do in my retirement. And because I had spent 40 years in the world of education, I could, <clears throat> I'd be readily accepted you know, as somebody who could talk about this in schools. But what I didn't have was a qualification of any kind in theology or spirituality. So in 2012, I retired in September. And in October, I started <clears throat> in November. We had a, a national conference and invited people to come and, you know, for, for teachers and principals in schools to think about starting meditation. Mm. And in, in, in around the same time, I started a one-year master's program in, in applied spirituality. So that was a very rich experience working on both projects at the same time. And um, as part of the thesis, we were expected to do, as, as part of the master's, we were expected to do a small thesis. So I spoke to about eight children that year who had been meditating um, some since before I started it, because they had started in Northern Ireland a couple of years before, and then in, in one of the schools where I had started it myself. And I was blown away, really, by what the children said. I was taken aback. I was delighted because it validated what I thought might be the case. But it meant I, I felt there was real potential in this for children. So I, I, um, from, I decided to go on and do a PhD. So for the next three years, I did a PhD, whilst at the same time continuing to roll the project out to about 40 schools a year, 30 or 40 schools a year. Now, I had a team of others, other volunteers like myself, to help me do that. And um, I, I was so pleased then with the research, the, the, the doctoral research, because for that, I interviewed 70 children uh, over for over an hour each, over two half hour, inter two half hour interviews, um, about three weeks apart. And then I had to collate all that they said to kind of understand what the experience meant to them. 
and I produced the book. I think you've you've read the book, <clears throat> um, Meditation with Children. <clears throat> yes. A resource for teachers and parents. So I, I, I wrote that simply to help teachers and parents understand the kind of things that the children were saying that allowed me to summarize them under various headings. So I summarized the practical benefits the children said, and they matched fairly well what, what John Kabat-Zinn was saying for the adult population. Meditation, the, the children actually said meditation helps you to let go of all the drama. I thought that was a lovely, and I tried to use the language they used. I thought that yes. was a lovely phrase. And in Irish schools here, when the children come in from the morning break in the yard and they come back into class, <clears throat> that's when a lot of the children have emotional challenges you know somebody pushed me in the yard a teacher somebody wouldn't they wouldn't let me play or somebody said something nasty about my brother or whatever and they all have little problems and the teachers say to them well we'll deal with all of that now but we'll do our meditation first then we'll deal with that and after meditation all the drama has disappeared and that's important because the children appreciate that i was upset and now i'm not but but that's just the practical benefits what really delighted me was to discover that the children were able to give really, really rich metaphorical description of what they had found in meditation. So they said, for example, things like meditation um, helps me to be myself. Now, you'd have to ask yourself, what does that mean? And that's why I wrote the book, really, because there are lots of examples of how why I took that heading. There are lots of examples of the actual words the children used. But they certainly found that they discovered something about themselves at a deeper level than the ego. They might not have been able to put it into words, <clears throat> um, but they did also say that meditation made them kinder. So they discovered, in a mm -hmm. sense, who they really were. But what really blew me away was when they said one child in particular used the phrase, you feel the goodness deep inside. And I think, like John Mayne always said, that the spirit of God dwells in our hearts, loving to all. And the children said, meditation makes you feel the goodness inside. And I think they're, they're both pointing to the same thing, that the children discovered something about their own innate spirituality, something about their connection to the divine that is enormously empowering from them. It helped them to discover who they were. So I think that now some of them then said more practically that it helped them to come closer to God. A lot of them in meditation talked about feeling very close to a grandparent who had died maybe in the last couple of years. In several cases, a dog who had died several years ago and suddenly finding in meditation that they felt really close to this person. So it was quite, quite, quite dramatic. Um, there were there were some children said um, some particular quotes uh, that I can give you, if you like, that that always absolutely <clears throat> please always stay with me. There was one seven-year-old girl, Helen. I called her. Uh, none, of, none of the names, of course, are their real names. Yeah. And she said, "When meditation is deep in you." Now, I would have said, "When when you're deep in meditation," but that was quite interesting that that mm -hmm. was the way she phrased it. When meditation is deep in you, you feel like you're somewhere that you've always wanted to be since you were small. Now she was seven. So what, what, you know, you have to ask yourself, what, what exactly was she pointing to? Except I think it's, it's very clearly, and if you read the rest of the discussion with her, it does point very strongly towards some sense of a connection with the transcendent. 
you know, with the divine, with God, whatever kind of language you want to use, <clears throat> but but with something deep within herself that was deeper than the ego. <clears throat> um, so that that was a lovely phrase. There was a girl in in um, Canada, and she had a lovely phrase that I try to imagine myself sometimes. Now she said, "When I sit uh, in meditation, and this was in Christian meditation in, in Catholic schools, if when I sit in meditation, when I hear the bells ring at the start of meditation." I imagine God is ringing my doorbell and I open my heart to let him in. Oh my Isn't that gorgeous? God. Or you could yeah. imagine God ringing your doorbell and he opens his heart to let you in. It could go either way. So that like these kids, they definitely discovered something profound and were so able to, to, um, to put it into language. There was a 12-year-old boy now, he had been meditating since he was four in school because he's the principal of the school uh, had the school had started when there was only one class, one group of 25 children. She was the teacher and the principal. And over the next so many years, next um, eight years, the school built up to be quite a large school, taking in two or three classes each year. But she had done she had been a meditator herself and she did a silent form of meditation. She didn't call it Christian meditation. She didn't bring God into it, but they sat in silence in class. And he said to me after his second interview, he said, <clears throat> I don't know how to put this. I really don't know how to say it. He said, but but I think I think meditation is like a map. And your destination is who you really are. Now, if I could have come up with that after years of meditation and yes, after doing a yes. PhD in studying meditation, I would think fair juice, fair juice, Keating, you, that you got it. <laughs> a 12 year, a 12 year old boy. Meditation is like a map and your destination is who you really are. You discover who you really are. So, I mean, it was <clears throat> quite powerful. They had a really brilliant capacity to give metaphorical description to it. We gave a talk. We arranged a conference in Trinity College. Um, maybe five years ago, six years ago, uh, in honour of John Main, who had been a student there and lectured there at Trinity College in Dublin. And Bernard McGinn, um, who would be uh, very, very well known, he'd be the preeminent um, academic researching uh, Christian mysticism. And he was in the audience when I gave a short talk explaining what the children had said. And he turned to Father Lawrence Freeman and he said, those children are using the exact same kind of metaphor as all of the mystics down through the ages, the likes of Meister Eckhart and Teresa of Avila and so on. They also, and I mean, the simple fact of the matter is John of the Cross and others, the only way to give expression to this is through metaphor, through poetry. You, you, can, you, can, you can try to put words on, on what is happening what the experience is like but those words are never really the thing they're yeah. simply pointing towards it <clears throat> and so to me that was if you were to ask me like what what was the greatest joy i got from the research it was really appreciating a the children knew they had an innate spirituality that they were that meditation cultivated it for many i mean i, I only interviewed um 70 children <clears throat> but but that, that gives you some indication Yes. But at least those children um, who took the practice seriously 
really gained something from it. So meditation does cultivate their spirituality. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about 30 minutes. I, I heard you say in an interview that, that it was yeah. what usually is suggested is one minute per, one, per, one year, minute of per age. year of age. Right, yeah. right. So even with that, like for the seven-year-old, that's in, in an adult's mind, that's such a short time period, but still the effects it has. Yes, but any adult who tries to meditate for seven yeah, minutes when they begin, it seems like an interminable, you know, period. But yeah. children, children take to it very, very readily. They have a disposition. They don't think they have to have all the answers. They're open to a practice because I mean they're learning all the time. So they're 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 so early in their cognitive development, particularly younger children, mm-hmm. that they're just open to experience. They live in the right. moment. And um they, they 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 really really do take to it and gain a great deal from it. Right. So no for for the children that what age do you find or did you find this where kids are kind of maybe embarrassed to meditate or they're wondering if their friends are meditating or what was was there was there any of that and well first of all you can answer that. Yeah, I would say, I mean, the the way I went about the practice, uh, and I had to think about this carefully at the time. So I went on an approach that said we were hoping to introduce a whole school meditation. So rather than organize seminars where teachers who might be interested could come and learn how to introduce it in their class, I was concerned that um, a child could learn to meditate for this year with a particular teacher and then they right. change to a new they're, teacher they're next year idea. and it, that teacher has no interest and it's gone. So what we work on is kind of in, in, encouraging schools to adopt it on a whole school basis. Even if every teacher doesn't feel that this is something that they would themselves want to do, but they appreciate that it helps the children um, so that it's done on a whole school basis. And the whole school generally would they'd start with two minutes and then they would build it up. Um, so even though 12 year olds could do 12 minutes and eight year old eight minutes, a lot of schools just build it up to five minutes for the whole school. Some do it every day. Uh, we ask them to do it at least twice a week. And then we ask children to meditate at home. So, I mean, I, I was surprised. I asked children, like, if you were meditating at home, how would you time yourself? And they said, Alexa or, you know, Google. <laughs> <laughs> and I see my own little six-year-old um, granddaughter comes into our house now, and if she wants a bit of music to do some dancing, she just walks over to it's a Google Home we have, and she simply says, "Google, please play," and she gives it a a song to play, and off it goes. Yes, off it goes. So we would very much encourage children to meditate at home as well as in school, and to teach meditation to their children, which I know some did. Probably the biggest weakness to the approach I took is that um, because I was doing it on my own with others here in Christian Meditation Ireland, a community of people in Ireland who meditate, we're linked to the world community. Um, Once it's up and running in a school, it's very difficult to maintain any kind of contact with the school afterwards. Mm -hmm. I do have a monthly newsletter that anybody who's interested can sign up for on our website, christianmeditation.ie. That goes out to about 900 teachers once a month. And I'm always asking them, just, just send me a single sentence. Right. Say, we're still doing it in, in the class and it's going yeah. well. But if I get one or two, 
out of the 900 to respond to me every second month. Mm. That's as far as it goes. Teachers are extremely busy and there are new things being introduced in schools all the time. And after 40 years in education, I know I know what it's like. Mm. Not easy. You you move on to the next thing that you have to do right. rather than the next thing that you might like to do. <clears throat> so, no, I um, my next question when you ask the children about the fruits of the meditation, did you do that one-on-one or you, did you do it as a group or how did children share? Well, generally, I simply visit the school uh, for a two-hour in-service with the staff. And I, I devised a program and taught others how to deliver it as well. And then at the end of the an hour and a half, so we, we've gone through meditation as a universal practice and uh, the practical benefits that flow from it, then meditation as a spiritual practice and the fruits that flow from it, and then a little bit about meditation as a Christian practice uh, and how how it finds expression as a form of prayer in, in the Christian tradition. Um, and then we give them three lessons that they can use to introduce the children, and they are on our website, christianmeditation.ie, under the Meditation and Children page. And the three lessons are very simple. The first is explains very simply how to introduce practice to the children. Just tell them that's about being still in body and mind. Let them try it for 30 seconds and they discover it's easy to be still in body, but hard to be still in mind. And then give them the word and say, we keep returning to the word. And I should stress that like it isn't as if in meditation that after a while, you just learn to kind of almost float in a blissful state. Meditation is hard work. I'm meditating now 18 years, and I reckon the first 18 are the worst because it never gets easy. So that, um, like typically what will happen in a meditation session is as soon as you have settled into it, a thought arises. It comes out of nowhere. You don't even know you're thinking until maybe 30 seconds later you realize you're caught up in a thought and you let it go. You just drop it like a hot brick and you return to your word. Ma, ra, na, tha. And that might happen 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, 10,000 times in a 20, 25 minute meditation. But the practice is simply letting go of the thought when you become aware of it and returning to your word. Yes. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an unusual practice. It's a discipline. It's a bit like going to the gym. But, but, but it also is a practice. You do all of that without effort. You try to make it effortless, because if you work hard at striving to achieve this state, then that's the ego and the achieving brain that has come back in. So what you're trying to do is simply open the heart and let the mind close down, give the mind a rest. It makes me think a little bit of the near-death experiences and the spiritual transformative experiences that people have had who I have interviewed, first of all they, as you say, they cannot explain them in words. They're ineffable. And second of all, during these experiences, the ego is, is, is gone and they become like they, it's exactly what the kids are saying, but it's, it's, I mean, a near death experience, that's really, you know, profound thing to go through but they have so much clarity and they understand and they're given the knowledge about, you know, about everything. And, and it's similar 
in in a way with what the children are just experiencing for these you know short short time periods do you have you done any research on the developing of an inner strength for children by meditating. I mean, we we all know if you do it regularly that that is what it does. But but can you give us your give your uh, give us your thoughts on that? Well, all of the work I have done um, was done as part of the doctoral thesis, um, and it was qualitative. So it was where I spoke to children, asked them questions when I couldn't ask them. I couldn't use word like spirituality or faith, you know, because I was simply so I, I would ask them questions like if meditation was a color, what color would it be? Mm. And then they would say maybe yellow or green or whatever. So why why green? Why yellow? And then they start talking about how that what, what, what they think of the color yellow. So metaphorically now they're describing to you the attributes of meditation as well as the attributes of the color. So, and I also use, and some of this is on the website as well, about 30 different photographs from ordinary life. Mm -hmm. um, and I gave them, so this, this would be a process known as photo elicitation, where the photo elicits something from the child. So I gave them 30 photographs um, about uh, A4 size and asked them to look through them and pick out three or four that somehow reminded them of meditation and then got them to describe the images. So I knew what it was that was, provoking something in them and then to say you know um what that said to them about meditation so i and then they would enter the spiritual realm they would talk about um whatever language they use brought them in so I, we weren't using christian language or we weren't using church jargon or anything else <clears throat> um and that is probably why you know they described it then as finding the goodness inside yes. you can be yourself and so on yes. which i then could interpret in some ways as matching what the, the 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 spiritual and religious traditions of the world also mm -hmm. say about the practice. Mm -hmm. Not sure now what was the question you asked me. <laughs> Did I diverge from what you had asked me? Um, I forgot what I asked you. <laughs> so <that's okay. laughs> it, was a, it was a great answer. What about the parents? Do you, do you ever in the in the school are there ever little meetings about what you're doing with the children and encouraging them to or maybe not encouraging, but gently yeah. <laughs> suggesting. See, I would I would love to do that if if um it might be possible here in Carlo where I live. Um again, some of the schools here did start it. I know some of them also stopped it when a principal changed, or when you know maybe the, the member of staff who was driving it retired, then there was nobody to give it that extra push. Um and I, I don't work for the diocese as such, so I don't have the yes. right to knock yes. on the door and go in and say I can ring but like principals are so busy when you ring to find out how it's going they, they have a parent in the office with them they have a teacher who has a problem they have an issue but there are always things going on that need to be dealt with so they say well I'll ring him back but then they forget right, right. so I don't really have that but but it would be something I would love to do yeah um if it really took off in a school that I was close to I would love to then um actually see maybe meditation on the same mornings, either in a local parish hall or if the school had a room available, the parents who were dropping children to school could actually go in and meditate together for a while. Oh, that would be beautiful. Yeah. So I would love to do that. But again, given the approach that I took, trying to do it, you know, countrywide, I've now changed that approach a little and I'm trying to work with dioceses. So I'm asking dioceses if they're interested to let me know. 
And then I will work with people within the diocese and train them, them how to do the work I have been doing in the hope that there then will always still be some kind of a team within the diocese who will see, well, it's our responsibility now to keep this practice going. Mm. So I've only started that this year. So hopefully over the next seven or eight years, if the Lord gives me health and energy, um, I will we'll keep at that and come back to me in eight years' time and I'll tell you <laughs> if yes. that worked out. <laughs> and we can learn so much from not only ancient cultures, but in some of the other countries today, I interviewed Bruce Alderman. Oh my gosh, a long time ago. He was one of, one of my first interviews and he lived in, I'm sorry, it was either Bali or Belize or something. <laughs> and he, at the school, they had a center. I think they called it a Maluka. They had a center that was specifically for meditation and the children knew that when they went in there they were silent they sat in meditation and he said it was the favorite favorite thing for for the children yes. you know that the children just loved and if only i mean hopefully we're going towards that a little bit because what it's a gift i mean what if we knew the benefits what what if what if we had been meditating since we were four years old i mean how different would, would the world be right oh, so yes, yes. what a gift to these children yes and if we could find a way um and i know there's a lot of work um that lisa miller and mm. cse are doing a good deal of work on this trying to promote the practice of um practices like meditation to cultivate the children's spirituality as distinct from their religion so whereas in in ireland here and in england and in many european countries it's actually written into the education acts that schools shall promote the physical and psychological emotional and spiritual well-being of children Beautiful. but they haven't they haven't sort of, uh, defined what they mean by spiritual and like the secular department of education doesn't actually follow through on that so I give a summer course here every year to teachers and I tease out this notion. There's a huge thing around the world now about um, children's well-being. And I, I talk about the fact that you can't talk about children's well-being without also talking about their spiritual well-being. So hopefully we will get to a stage <clears throat> where the pendulum will begin to swing back. And instead of swinging back and talking about religion, people will be able to talk about spirituality as an innate um, dynamism in every person, irrespective of what faith they are affiliated with or no faith at all. We all are, you know, nonetheless spiritual uh, mm -hmm. beings. And I think that's that would be a, a wonderful thing if we could begin to move things in that direction. Yeah. But it's, it's not easy. I, Ireland here in particular has become a very secular country, having been a deeply religious country up until the late 60s and the 70s, would now be a very, very secular country. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed um, Lisa Miller and and actually Amy Chapman, who also works at um, the Center for Spirituality. And I actually flew out there and met them and did a talk at their their center or their conference. But 
they're doing such great work, but it's interesting. I, I just reached out to them because I think I know how I found you, Kate Adams. Does that ring a bell, Dr. Kate Adams? Well, I actually, if I remember right, I wrote to you because I found you online. Oh, you wrote to me. And okay, I sent you an great, email saying, great. you know, that if you were interested, this was the work I was yeah. doing. And if, if, yes. if you thought it might be relevant in your context, I'd be delighted well, to talk to you. You wrote the right person. But... Uh, so Kate Adams is doing research on, she has a, a similar background of yours, a teacher for many, many years, yes. and they got very interested in spiritual experiences, such as dreams, yes. um, invisible friends, um, all sorts of things. So it's funny, I reached out to Lisa and Amy to see if they might be interested in you know, they're, they're very, very busy, but they said, absolutely. They would, um, what an interesting thing to, to think about. So I think slowly, but surely these things are, are coming about. Um, can you just tell the story first of all, well, going back to the pictures that you show the children, I remember one interview, one child saw a picture that reminded her of God or using that word. And which is, I love <laughs> I love yes. the word God and nothing had been mentioned of that. And she saw it and she said, yes, that's it. Yes. I can't, I can't, you asked me that. Um, yeah. Before. I can't quite recall uh, which picture that was. Right. Right. But different children reacted completely differently to the same picture. So yes. it was, it was really interesting in that, like for that, for some, most of them, um, where not, you, you couldn't say that they were in any way overtly about spirituality. There was one <clears throat> that showed the sun beams coming down into a clearing in a forest. And and children, certainly in my age, would have images of the Virgin Mary, you know, appearing <laughs> in Knock or in, in um, uh, Lourdes or wherever else, you know, you'd associate right. that kind of imagery. So that was probably the only one I used that might have and funnily enough, it didn't evoke that much right, from them. Right. Um, but it was really fascinating that a lot of the pictures are up on um, the website, christianmeditation.ie. So anybody who's interested can have a look at those. Okay. Um, but it was fascinating. I would then ask them to describe what was in the picture. So I would then know what it was. Uh, and it was something different for, for every person. Mm -hmm. So there were people uh, who were looked very, very happy. There were situations where people were crying, walking in the rain. There was a picture of a traffic jam that went on for miles, a beautiful beach in Barbados or something like that. So that there were just a variety mm -hmm. of images. And um, it worked really well as a method yes. of getting children to talk about things. Interesting. I appreciate that we're probably coming towards the end of this. Can I mention two things that haven't come up so far? Absolutely. Okay. One is the fact I said like that with the, the lessons we do with the children, we te ask teachers to teach them just how to meditate uh, in maybe 10 minutes and then to meditate uh, as often as they can on the whole school basis for the next six weeks. And then the second lesson is about the practical fruits. So it's simply having a chat with them about has meditation made any difference to you and talking about those practical fruits. And then the third lesson uh, six weeks later again is about the 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 first of all is the practical benefits and then six weeks later the deeper fruits but distinguished clearly like between the practical pragmatic benefits and the deep rich inner fruits that flow from it and and then my worry then was that teachers would um, after those lessons were over it might simply become the thing we do 
at 11 o'clock when we come back in from right, there. Right. And that it would lose any sense of we're doing this for a spiritual purpose. So I worked with a Canadian singer called Alana Lewandowski, who had some, done some beautiful work with James Finlay, who works with Richard Rohr <clears throat> a lot. And um, Alana had written two contemplative CDs with uh, James Finlay. So I wrote to her and sent her my book and asked her, would she be willing to do a CD with me? And the outcome of that was a CD called um, Meditation with Children. <clears throat> oh, my and gosh. On, on the CD are 12 songs that she wrote, most of them are arising directly from, from uh, what the children said in the book. And some of them that she might have written in a year or two before that, that captured something they said very clearly as well. And the hope then is that schools would actually play the song, could be in music class, doesn't have to be in, you know, religion class, or uh, they can take the time anywhere in the day and play the song and um, talk to the children about the wording of the song. So I did send you the song, There Is Goodness Inside. Yes. If you're I'm able so to incorporate that, it would that. be wonderful. Yes. But we also then produced a booklet, uh, a songbook <clears throat> on meditation with children. And in the songbook, are the um, words and the music for each of the songs. So they're all available. The CD is available on Spotify, on iTunes, um, YouTube Music. It's available for purchase directly from alanalevandoski.com uh, if anybody is interested. So people might like to, to try out, just look up uh, Meditation with Children, Noel Keating or Alana Lewandowski, and they will find that. Beautiful. The Can other... you get it? I hate to be so American, but... Can you get those on Amazon? Well, the, the, these are available from Alana Lewandowski. Okay. Um, so she, she in uh, in America and Canada, she distributes them and I distribute them here. So they're certainly available. Okay. And if somebody can't get them from Alana, let them contact me. You might put up my email address into the- Yes, it will all be in the show Into notes. the little bio that you put up. Yes. Um, and then if people are interested in contacting me, that's fine. The other thing I did was uh, something I did during COVID. I, when we couldn't visit schools during COVID, I produced a YouTube page. So it's youtube.com forward slash at meditation for well-being. And you'll find that the link in my any of the emails I have sent you, it's down at the bottom of those. <clears throat> and you can also access it from our website, christianmeditation.ie. And on that, I made maybe 35 minute videos to help teachers to introduce meditation with children. I don't know, have I any of the yeah, little fox on the wall behind me? I used to have little animals <laughs> just sitting around me <laughs> when I made the Love videos. It. So there's about 30 <laughs> videos. And then I made a series of videos for teens. And then I made a series of videos for adults, introducing meditation to beginners. So they are all available on YouTube uh, forward slash at meditation for well-being. People might find them helpful. You do that kind of thing. You, you you put the work out there. It's out in the ether and you have no idea who's accessing it. Every now and then somebody subscribes. But beyond that, you really don't know. And I was having a talk one day, giving a talk to a group, a, a, a worldwide group on meditation. And the lady who had organized it um, asked me, could she speak to me before it began, before anybody else turned up? And she said that um, she uses those videos all the times in her work in the schools in the Philippines. And I thought, this is wonderful because, you know, wonderful. You, you'd, you'd undertake the work, you put it out there 
And then because it's on the web and so on, and there's nobody engaging with you about it, you don't know. So, like I, but I put it there as a resource that anybody can use. You know, so everything I I do around meditation, we try to do it for free. You know, we don't. I I don't charge for any of the work I do with the schools here in Ireland. We give them a starter pack, so we have to charge them for the the book, and we have to charge them for the, you know, the CD and CD. so on. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, the work is offered uh, free of charge. You've been a biz- busy guy in retirement. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I think I don't know that I would ever. Masters, PhD, books, CDs, conferences. Yeah, one thing leads to another. One thing leads leads to another. another. I mean, what motivates me is the desire to promote the practice and for people to appreciate, to discover again who they are at the deepest level of their being and to begin to live life from that perspective, from that place. Well, you are a gift to the world for sure. Not at all. I'm delighted to to be able to to help in any way. Oh, I love this. And as you just mentioned, um, Noel sent me, oh my gosh, you have to listen to this song before you even listen to this interview, but you know, you won't know to listen to it unless you listen to this interview, but there is goodness inside. We're going to put it in the show notes and I'm going to play at, play it at the beginning, or at least part of it at the beginning of this interview. Um, It is it is beautiful. I mean, to play that, I think I'm going to start playing that like every morning. It's such a beautiful, beautiful song. So thank you for doing that. Didn't she capture it beautifully? I was so stunned. She uh, did that for me, that first song she did for the World Meeting of Families in Ireland here in 2018, where I was working with teenagers. And I asked her if she could get that ready for that time. It was the first one she did. It's the last one on the CD, but it's my favorite of them all. And I think that when you look at the wording of the song, Yes, it is absolutely beautiful. It's yeah. so so simple, and yet she captures it so beautifully and very faithful to how the children describe the experience. Yeah. So I would love, and I've asked schools here in Ireland, but nobody's done it yet. I want schools to send me videos of children singing these singing songs. Singing it, I love that. So well, I'm maybe I'll, maybe it. I'll be able to do that with a little bit of my work, not in a school, but yeah. in a in a personal setting. Well, no, we do have to wrap it up, but um, what would you like to shout to the world or share some words of wisdom? I think what I started with, really, which is that um, it's so important, particularly in modern secular society, that we understand that we are spiritual beings on a human journey and not human beings on a spiritual journey. I think it was Teilhard de Chardin who said that. And when I read that, it really struck a chord very deep in me. So that that people, if people can understand that they can live not just from the head, but from the heart, and that it works all the better when the head is in the heart, um, when our doing is informed by our deepest sense of being, so that we're not doing out of the ego and its desires and preoccupations and needs, but we're doing out of that deepest sense of who we are. That would be the first point. And the second would be that in my experience and the children, I think, validate it and all of the wisdom traditions of the world would say it, that meditation promotes human flourishing at a very deep level. It moves our center of consciousness from the head to the heart and it, it, it changes our way of seeing and being in the world. But I'd encourage people to try it. Beautiful. Okay. 
Well, thank you so much. And let's definitely stay in touch. I'd like to stay up on all of your work. And sure. um, once again, um, this beautiful song and all everything that Knowles talked about today will be in the show notes for for you to go go check it out. So if people do want to find you, why don't you just quickly mention mention what you have before your website? Yeah, the website is christianmeditation.ie. That's the official website of Christian Meditation Ireland. Um, and because I'm national coordinator of that, as well as coordinator of the Meditation with Children program, um, a lot of the work is up on that website. And then if anybody wants to, there's the YouTube page then as well, which is youtube.com at meditation for wellbeing. And then finally, my own email address is mnkeating, m as in monkey, N as in Noel Keating, K-E-A-T-I-N-G at gmail.com. I'd be glad to engage with anybody who was interested. Great. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank, thank you. you. This has been such a pleasure. And from this side as well. So thank you yes. very much. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Okay. okay. We'll keep in touch. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.